Hey, what's going on, folks? You're listening to Tobin Tuesdays, brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Today is December 4th, 2018, and I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. A fairly light episode this week as we head into the exam and winter break. We have three stories today. We first spoke to Juno-nominated musician and Winnipeg native Don Amaro about his Amaro Little Christmas Tour, which makes its final stop here in Winnipeg on December 15th. Our second story covers the current exhibition being put on by the School of Art in their main gallery titled Forest Encounters. And finally, we caught up with fifth-year player on the Bison men's volleyball team, Dustin Spiring. With that being said, let's get to it. A Merry Little Christmas is a tour currently being put on by Winnipeg-born musician Don Amaro. In his career, he's produced six albums, and in that span, he's been nominated for and won numerous awards. His fourth album, Heart on My Sleeve, released in 2012, got him a 2013 Juno Award nomination for Aboriginal Album of the Year, and also won him Best Folk Slash Acoustic Album at the 2013 Aboriginal People's Choice Music Awards. In 2015, he collaborated with country singer Brett Kissel and released his fifth album, Refined, which got him two more nominations at the 2016 Juno Awards one for Aboriginal Album of the Year, and one for Adult Contemporary Album of the Year. His path to what he has accomplished today is an interesting one. Quoting from his website, When Don was 14, he walked into an audition and soon discovered that he had a gift for music. His intention when auditioning for the musical was to catch the eye of his junior high crush, but instead he landed the lead role in that year's play as Curly in Oklahoma. It wasn't until he was 27 years old when he gave music his best shot. He was working as a hardwood floor installer and his boss plainly asked what he wanted to do with his life. Without hesitation, Don replied, I want to be a touring musician and do music full time. His boss said, what are you waiting for? That shook Don, but he realized that he'd been waiting for someone else to give him a shot. With that, Don quit his job and began the journey into a career in music, end quote. Our arts and culture reporter, Shauna Matthews, spoke with Don about the tour, discussing the show itself, what it means to be ending the show in Winnipeg, as well as his other pursuit outside of being a musician. His Winnipeg show for A Merry Little Christmas is on December 15th at the West End Cultural Center. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like, a, I always say it's kind of a mix of like, you know, you know, the year on Carol, uh, Don Jackson, Karen Carol, and, and Michael Bublé's Christmas special. It's kind of, kind of a lot of uh, fun moments, and, uh, you know, we uh, as a band have a lot of fun with the audience in terms of, uh, you know, I, some cheesy Christmas stuff and Christmas fun, um, and, and just some great music. We're doing a lot of a good mix of, like, um, you know, carols and, and Santa Claus songs and some original songs that I've done over the last couple of years as well. So in Winnipeg, this, is, this will be year number seven, actually. Um, and uh, we've uh, this is the first time we're sort of really taking it on the road outside of Manitoba. So this is a, a first for the tour, but yeah, year number seven. I think this is year number six at the West End Cultural Center. The year before that, I was across the street when it used to be the Ellis Theater, uh, Ellis Cafe Theater. But oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's the School of Acting now. But uh, but yeah, that's where we were for the very first year. And, so we've been uh, we've moved over to the West End and just been working on that venue for the last couple of years. Yeah. We really wanted to make sure that we ended this tour at home because I mean it's for all my friends and family and, and people there that have been with me for a, a good number of years, and especially this show. Um, you know, we get a lot of returning people every year who have made this part of their Christmas tradition. So um, while I love touring out of town, out of province and stuff, it's been great. But it's it's you know it's audiences that are not so familiar with the show. Um, so I mean. It's, it's great, it's fantastic, but the Winnipeg show is kind of like they're primed and ready for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's great to be able to finish it off at home. Just to celebrate with your family and friends there is a great way to sort of end things off, too. If I, if I get up Christmas 12 months of the year, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I, I love the spirit of the season. You know, my family was, uh, uh, you know, hardworking folks, you know, kind of blue-collar family, always working hard for to make a living. And, but I, I always remember sort of the closeness that this season was for us as a family. And even though it was only a couple of days, it really kind of brought us together for at least a few days. Um, and so I have such fond memories of that before my, my parents, you know, 
our divorce and stuff. And so it, for me, there's all these sort of nostalgic feelings around Christmas. And uh, and for me, just being able to extend that into a show and, and sort of bring that, you know, what the truth of what Christmas really is about to the stage and hopefully inspire people to kind of go off and kind of really just enjoy each other at Christmas time is, is the goal of the show. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, for me, Christmas has always been a special, special time of year. We, so we've got an album coming out this year. So we... Uh, okay. We've uh, we, we were recording in, in July and August this year, which was again really strange. Plus thirty outside, and we're singing Christmas carols in the studio. Um, but and, and, and I I spend a lot of my time throughout the year just sort of thinking about how the show will go, and, and I always have, especially the Winnipeg show, I always have special guests sort of come out and surprise the audience. I, I don't tell anybody who they are; they just sort of they show up and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sort of a nice surprise for the audience when the guests come out. So um, yeah, that's something I, I I really love doing. I spend a good a good portion of the year thinking it through. The next thing on my schedule is from, from December 16th until January 13th, I'm pretty much free and just going to be the family guy for a couple of weeks and, and just be with my family. I'm, I'll be in Nashville uh, in mid-January, so until then I'm going to just sort of lay low and, and, and get fat on Christmas food. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, it's a songwriting trip, so uh, okay. I've done this for my fourth time down there and, uh, and a lot of artists up here in Canada go down there and and work with some of the you know the best writers in the industry. Um, you know, I, I feel good as a writer, but I mean, when you work with people that are just so good at their craft, it really helps increase what you do and, and makes you a better writer. So um, I always leave there feeling inspired and, and with you know new tools as a writer. So yeah, yeah. So, so what that is, I mean, I, I sort of cater my the conversation sometimes around whatever sort of the the event is. So um, I do that. Um, but from time to time, uh, I do a workshop called Music and Medicine. Um, and that's the, um, really, I just talk about how music has helped heal me and get me through some things in my life and, mm-hmm. and sort of also what science says about music and how, how music actually affects us on a, um, you know, internal level and what's really happening in our minds. Uh, it's kind of a cool way of sort of taking, going a little deeper in the journey of what music is actually doing for us as human beings. It's pretty cool. I mean, like if folks want to find out more about the show, uh, the Winnipeg show is, is getting, getting closer to being sold out. So if people want to grab tickets, they should probably get them pretty soon. Um, and they can get them uh, either through the West End Cultural Center website or uh, even, I think the maybe the best place to send it is donamero.ca and all the links are there. Forest Encounters is the name of the exhibition currently on display at the School of Arts Gallery. Using pieces from the School of Art Gallery's permanent collection, Jamie Wright, Registrar for the School of Art Gallery, curated a collection comprised of a series of prints, drawings, and paintings with a combination of sculptures and whalebone carvings. Quoting from the exhibition's page, Imagining the woodlands as a setting where artworks of diverse styles and mediums might meet, Forest Encounters provides a narrative backdrop from which audiences are invited to contemplate the forest as a universal source of symbolism and wellspring for artistic interpretation. Whether urban or outlying, filtered with light or darkened under the shadows, this is a setting where mysterious creatures lurk, secret lovers meet, hermits stow away, and many other weird and wonderful adventures take place. A utopia where 21st century humans go to find inner peace, or the edge of a dangerous threshold separating wilderness from civilization. The idea of the forest has been interpreted and reinterpreted through endless forms of visual language. Our arts and culture reporter, Amin Montaziri, spoke with Jamie to discuss the exhibition. Forest Encounters will be on display until January 18, 2019 at the School of Art Main Gallery. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I wanted to construct a, a forest 
based on work from our permanent collection. Um, so periodically in the gallery we'll do permanent collection shows um, because we have about 5,000 works and it's nice to get them out and seen. Uh, we also have a lot of really generous donors, uh, so it's nice for them to be able to see sort of where their work has come and where it's going. Um, and it's very, very important for artists, um, especially students, to see the work of living artists or the actual work of artists. Um, helps to inform their practices. Uh, so uh, being a registrar, I get to go through the collection every single day in one form or another. Um, I'm often sort of drawn to certain works. Uh, for this particular show, I was drawn to uh, two works by the Kakagamic brothers that we have in the collection. Um, so I wanted to make a show about them, or about those, inspired by those works, but not just strictly a show of their work. It was really important for me to present their works, to present them alongside their contemporaries um, and works from a variety of different artists within the collection uh, and not just strictly uh, work by Indigenous artists. Uh, so integration was really important. Um, so they were both uh, animals. Uh, one was a bear and one was a moose and I was trying to think of the most logical way of constructing a show around that um, and it would be to just create a forest that those creatures could live in and emerge from. Um, and it went from there. It worked out really nicely because we have a bloody ton of landscape, um, just the nature of the collection and the kind of art practice that happens in this part of the world. Uh, so it became really quite easy, actually. Uh, it was hard to edit things, in fact, because there were just so many. The collection, uh, so just over 5,000 works. Uh, it spans just about every discipline you could think of. Um, we have from uh, traditional oil painting, uh, all the different print techniques, uh, over a, a variety of different uh, um, eras, as it were, I guess. Uh, a lot of drawing, a lot of photography, uh, quite a bit of sculpture, and um, sort of traditional sculptures, uh, all the way through to very, very contemporary sculpture. Uh, a lot of relief work. Um, we have a number of video works as well, some of them documentations of performance, some of them just strictly video works on their own. Uh, they go from the earliest piece we have is somewhere in the 1800s. Uh, most of those are sort of reproductions of even older works. Um, and then right up to, I think, 2009 is the most current work. In the show, we don't have any photography or video, unfortunately. So it's much more traditional mediums. Um, it's primarily two-dimensional, so uh, print, uh, print drawing, um, painting, would be the main sort of disciplines there and then some sculpture as well and it's a combination of uh, sculpture, soapstone sculpture, uh, sculpture of wood or made out of wood and then um, a couple of whalebone sculptures, whalebone carvings, are really quite wild. Um, yeah, a lot of different interpretations uh, on you know what a forest could be or what something within a forest could be. Um, going from something like the Kakagamics with the woodland style uh, representation of a form on a very very flat plane and, and uh, really illustrative uh, to something like, um, that's a Gerald Ferguson. Uh, we have a painting of his uh, called 50 Fish, but if you didn't know the title of it, there would be almost no way of determining whether or not they're fish that you're seeing. It's, for all intents and purposes, black paint on an un unfinished canvas. So it's some are very, very abstract, some are super, super uh, straight ahead. Um, there's a print from the 1800s. Uh, that is just a representation of, of deer, and you'd, you'd know it to look at it, and there's sculptures that could be any kind of a creature, who knows. The way that I've um, gone about presenting the works is to 
create a space within the gallery that kind of feels like a bit of a forest. Um, so I base that on some hikes that I've done throughout my life. It's uh, something that's very important to me. Um, so even some little like behind the scenes stories, the things that I've experienced, wanting to kind of represent that um, exist in it. But it's such that any sort of section of the gallery or any even individual piece or taken as a whole, I think will create a narrative for each audience member that's completely different to the next, based on their understanding of forests, based on their experience within forests, based on what they see within the animals or the figures or the creatures, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a very much a choose-your-own-adventure once you get inside the gallery. So uh, I think the some of the oldest ones would be um, some Eric Bergman's that are quite old. Uh, so those would be from the more early 1900s. Um, Shadbolt around the 60s, Reichert in the 80s. Uh, the Lemoyne Fitzgerald, I believe we have a, a early 1900s as well. I think it's 1913 or 1918. That might be the, the oldest piece that we have in there. I've been uh, creating shows for the Special Collections Gallery for a couple of years now, um, all based on what we have in the collection. Um, so I've run through a number of ideas with that that are much more of a narrow focus. This one really worked uh, as a, a really great justification to get a lot of the works that we have in the collection out into the gallery um, that maybe wouldn't normally see it, see the light of day, because they're landscapes. And that's a, it's a very, very pleasing uh, uh, sort of genre, as it were, but it's critically not at all interesting to a lot of people. Um, but it's... It's important. It's, a, it's an important. Have you gotten feedback from uh, fine art students? Yeah, people seem to really enjoy it. it there's kind of a, something for everybody um, because of the diversity of mediums, the diversity of uh, um, roots into what maybe a landscape could be, or, or representations of animals and that sort of thing. It really runs the gamut. Uh, the only real complaint I've had is that there's no photography, um, which is valid, I guess, for sure. But yeah, there's, there's a little bit for just about anybody. I want them to feel like they have a space at the university where they can walk through a forest, relive experiences they've had in a forest, or have a brand new experience in a, in a forest. Um, I want it to be kind of a, like, transport them out of the whatever is around them right now. Especially the timing is so great near exam season, like you can just... Take a, take a break and just go through there. That's one of the ideas. We, uh, for the first time in a very long time, we've actually put benches in, back in the gallery. So they're a very comfortable place to sit and just be, to look at a horizon or, uh, you know, stare at a moose uh, in the safety <laughs> of the university, obviously. But yeah, just a, a peaceful, contemplative space, which is, from a, like a curatorial standpoint, pretty boring, pretty, pretty super simple. But there's something beautiful to it, I think, in the end. Uh, I think the... The way that we've been able to craft the space really lends itself to that, um, not in a super cliched way, but in a pretty wholesome and earnest way. I hope anyway. The current roster for the Bison men's volleyball team is made up of 15 players. One player is in his fourth year, while a second player is in his fifth year. The rest are either rookies or second years. Currently sitting at a 4-8 record in the Canada West, it seems like there is still much to be learned before the team can replicate the magical season they had only two years ago where they finished first in the Canada West and had the privilege of hosting the Final Four for the conference at the Investors Group Athletic Centre. The fifth-year player mentioned is Dustin Spiring, and he spoke with sports reporter Kellen Taniguchi to talk about his senior season, as well as taking a bit to reflect on the experience he took away from the 2016-17 season in order to use it as a learning tool for the current rookies and second-year players that he plays with now. Um, yeah, so uh, when I was a kid, I played a little bit of everything, uh, baseball, soccer, basketball, works, never played hockey or football, but 
Uh, I always loved volleyball, and uh, I went to St. Paul's in grade nine and uh, fell in love with it a little bit more. Started playing club volleyball in grade 10, and that's where I really, uh, really learned to love it. Uh, in high school, I'd say that basketball kind of competed with volleyball, but uh, I had a little more success in basketball than I did in volleyball, and I, didn't, I wasn't the greatest volleyball player at the time, but uh, grade 12, or grade 11 got a lot got a lot better, got some playing time on a, a pretty veteran team, and then grade 12 was a was a leader and was a starter, and one of the, I think I played every set that year. Uh, funny thing, I wasn't like a graduating all-star or anything like that, coming out of high school, no recruits, didn't really think I'd play volleyball ever again. Uh, came to U of M actually, just for school, and then my club coach asked me to help out uh, that year and just like take video, do stats, like in practice, stuff like that, so. Uh, came as much as I could, I was working a part-time job, and then, uh, yeah, in the second half of the year, there was quite a few injuries, so I got to uh, got to get in and play a little bit, and uh, showed what I could do, yeah. and the coaches really appreciated that, and then the next year, uh, that year we had Camp Johnson as a sabbatical coach, but uh, Garth came in next year, and he asked me to do video again, kind of, and, and but be on the team, and, and be a part of the team, so I actually got to roster that year, and then... Uh, uh, we had a couple injuries in the first first round of playoffs for the last couple weeks of the regular season, and I actually got to play in playoffs quite a bit. So I got quite a bit of experience from that. And then from there on, I mean, I switched different positions every now and then, but found a way to be on the court. So, so you came here not expecting to play volleyball, and it just worked out? Yeah, never. That's, I never expected to play volleyball that's at all. awesome. Physically, I wasn't a very big guy, so, uh, like, I was still tall, but, like, I wasn't strong. I didn't jump the greatest or whatever. So in between year two and three, I really worked on my body and, and uh, got a lot stronger. Was able to play a lot more. So, and is there anything specific just about the game of volleyball in general that kind of drew you to it, or just the whole? Uh, I love it for its, its excitement. Um, I mean, every point you can you can celebrate with your team, right? You can get excited. You and if you, at the same token, if you don't get the point, right, it's just the next play. So I kind of fell in that level, uh, that level of it. That's not a continuous sport, but it's point by point basis. So. Definitely that was what's it. Uh, I guess just with your time with the Bisons here, what, uh, moment or two moments that kind of stick out in your mind, what would they be? Uh, definitely the final final of the final four two years ago with that veteran team. Uh, second set when we won that set, that was, that was probably my favorite moment as a Bison ever in my, in my history here. So that would definitely be one. Um, and then getting to play with good friends the, the entire way and, and having the experience I probably spent every weekend with the same guys for three years straight and spend five six hours a day with those guys and, and uh, develop a lot of good relationships uh that final four was here too right yeah so yeah, how is that like like playing that big of a game like at local court and stuff? oh it was amazing the, fa- the fan support came out was was incredible um, stands were packed both sides never seen that like that before and uh to hear the roar of the crowd was was just an epic thing funny thing enough i when we were in the game, it didn't feel like it was a big game, but it felt like it was a fun game, yeah. and I really enjoyed that. So. And you were saying, like, veteran team back then, and I think now, besides you, I think maybe Kevin and everyone else is, like, second and first years, right? So having those guys with you from that, do you think that kind of translated into you being able to be a leader now kind of thing, or, like, what went into that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I try to take a lot from guys in the past. Uh, Kevin Faulkner was a, was a big leader. His work ethic was amazing, and... Uh, Kenny Rooney was a great, great leader. He was a captain in his second year, and uh, he uh, he never strayed from how good he was. So uh, I learned a lot from him too. And then, uh, I, I learned so many lessons from so many different guys on the veteran team. I mean, Alex Strachan was the ultimate teammate, and he was a he was a tremendous guy and a tremendous friend to me. And 
Yeah, I mean, even my, my good friend Adam Bianca, right? He, uh, he had a passionate win that, that I took and uh, I tried to apply to my game and I really loved it. So. And how would you explain the atmosphere in the locker room, I guess, this year compared to years past with the change and turnover? Yeah, uh, it's, it's good. Um, I think that the, I mean, I think we had eight or nine recruits last year that were the same year. So those guys are pretty tight-knit. Um, with the new guys coming in this year, it seems like we're trying to bond a little bit more, but it's coming along and uh, it's definitely making me feel like an old man sometimes in there with, uh, with all the young guys, all the 18, 19-year-olds. But uh, I like to put my foot down every now and then and it's been good, so. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess just with your progression through the years then, too, if you weren't expecting to play and stuff, would you say Garth played a huge role in your development then and stuff like that? Yeah, I think Garth Garth provided the opportunity for me, and I took it, I would say. I think that he uh, he saw something in me that was able to play and uh, was able to compete, and I think that's what Garth looks for the most. And uh, I came into practice every day willing to work hard and, and do whatever it needed to do to get on the court. I mean, I switched positions like six times with it throughout my time here, so... I tried to just be as flexible as possible, and whenever he said jump, I said how high. So, I mean, it was uh, it was definitely a factor in him, in him giving me the opportunity and seeing that in me. And anything specific with number 12 or just number you? I actually wanted to be number 13 when I came in, but there was no... Or Evan Pollard had the 13 jersey, and I, I kind of got 12, I think, in my first year, and uh, I don't know, just never would have switched up the numbers. 12 means something to me now, so... Um, just schooling and stuff. What were you in? What are you in school for here? I just graduated from the kinesiology faculty uh, with a physical education degree. And now I'm in my uh, first year of education. Okay. Uh, what are your plans after this then? Uh, after this year, I'll go back to education for one more year, probably finish my degree, and then who knows from there? Either try and get a teaching job, maybe try and play some beach professionally, or maybe even go overseas. I don't really know yet. But. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Like playing volleyball after this, you want that in your lifestyle. Uh, if I had the opportunity, I'd love to do it. Uh, I want to finish my degree next year, though, and, and get that out of the way. I don't I don't want to have to come back to school after if I were to pursue some sort of volleyball. So I'll try and keep in shape and do my best to stay in shape and give myself that opportunity two years down the road. And that should do it for this week's episode of Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Once again, all the interviews you heard today were provided by Shauna Matthews, Amin Montaziri, and Kellen Taniguchi. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram. And the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. You can find all the stories you heard today in this week's issue of the Manitoban. You can also find Tobin Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where you can also find our old episodes and you can subscribe so you don't miss a future one. We are also, of course, available on our show page at umfm.com. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening and we'll hope you join us next week. To all the students entering final exams and final papers, good luck. I'm with you right there struggling, so uh, I feel you. <laughs> Peace.